Well, greetings once again, dear listeners. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us here at the Republic Broadcasting Network. I am Bruce G. McCarthy, your host for the remainder of this hour, and you are listening to Datum Line. Today's date, September 22, 2013. In our previous Datum Line broadcast entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 25, we continued to cross-examine popular economic misconceptions published as irrefutable facts in No More National Debt by Bill Still, published in 2011. Our focus of late has been narrowed to a specific element of God's creation, that being called gold, which has been singled out for excoriation by the advocates of credit in their assault upon the scriptures, our state and federal constitutions, and what remains of Christian America's dwindling common sense. Built upon a vocabulary of pure wind, this anti-gold campaign has nurtured a veritable seedbed of economic myths. First on the list was America's alleged history of gold-backed money, an absurdity around which both the advocates and opponents of gold take a position, each of them arguing for or against America's return to what never existed, because there is no such thing. In their zeal to win converts, both sides prove to a careful listener that they cannot distinguish between an IOU for money and the money itself. Next was the widespread belief that America was once on the gold standard, and that every bank or treasury note that promised to pay gold actually had an equal dollar weight of gold sitting in a vault ready to redeem those IOUs. Well, this notion was put to rest when the first bank opened for business, the purpose of which was to issue more credit than the gold or silver deposited by a naive and unsuspecting public. The next error addressed in the mythological lineup was found on page 25 of No More National Debt, where sentence number five, presenting a compound myth, states that, quote, the bankers own most of the gold. Wow. This is predicated on the first and second myth of gold-backed money and the gold standard, which, if we buy into those, combine to support the twisted logic that bankers somehow bought up all of their customers' gold with promises to pay gold. If we believe the first two myths, the third one is an easy sell. And, as Bill says, ideally, money should be valueless, that he says on page 31, which means that the bankers somehow bought up America's gold supply with unbacked IOUs, you know, the valueless or worthless kind, the ideal form of money, if your mind works like that of a populist. Welcome to the funny farm of modern economic theory, where you need the patience of a trained psychiatrist to follow its demented logic. None of us are old enough to remember the halcyon days when economic principles actually made sense or when congressmen actually understood what they were talking about when it came to monetary concerns. At the Constitutional Convention, on the other hand, yes, but such men were certainly not in the majority during the legal tender debates of 1861. And today, people believe that a note, even a spurious note, can purchase wealth, when in fact it's the other way around. Delusions do not become true simply because they've become popular. 
those who are seduced by credit, whether it originates with the Federal Reserve or Congress, are driven by emotion, not understanding. Discover a box full of $100 bills, and you'll know the depth of feeling that a populist has for credit. But feelings of euphoria do not convert bills of credit into money, nor does passing them on to a merchant for goods and services convert a legalized criminal extravaganza into the payment of money at law. Our economics vocabulary was reduced to nonsense long before most of us were born, and there are those who profit from the confusion that has been sown by the masters of deceit, the wizards of economic nonsense, those are economists, and the economic reformers who demand that our nationally syndicated crime of fractional reserve banking be turned over to Congress, who legalized this system in the first place. So again, if the bankers own most of the gold, as Bill and others firmly believe, with what did they purchase the gold? Identify the substance that they used to buy the gold, and I'll give you 100 pounds of it absolutely free. Returning to a history of banking in all the leading nations, volume 2, page 210, originally published in 1896, we have a question. For what is the commodity which a banker deals in and makes the profit by? Now the author answers the question. He opens his place of business and has an array of clerks with their desks, ledgers, and so forth. He then gives notice that he is ready to buy gold from anyone who has it to sell. And what is the commodity with which he buys the gold? What does he give in exchange for it? His own credit. The only commodity the banker has to sell is his own credit, for which he charges exactly the same price as if it were money. End quote. You see, bankers did not buy up our ancestors' tangible money with tangible money. They did not buy America's gold with gold or with silver. In fact, it would have been impossible for a few bankers to earn enough wealth of any kind to purchase, not with their customers' wealth, but with their own wealth, all of the monetary gold that belonged to the entire American population in 1934. They got it with their stock in trade called credit. If I'm correct, then they do not have lawful title to the gold they stole from my grandparents and yours by and through their agent, Franklin D. Roosevelt, his administration and socialist program called the New Deal. So, Bill Still, and all of you populists out there, please tell me how the bankers came to lawfully own most of the gold. And if you can't, then explain why they should not be foreclosed upon punished for fraud, theft, and high treason with the gold and silver they hold seized and returned to the American people via public auction. Continuing with No More National Debt at page 25, quote, In a gold money system, says Bill, bankers manipulate the amount of gold they loan out. I'm going to stop right there. When was the last time bankers actually loaned anyone a sum of gold other than to government? and then only enough to win sufficient confidence in their credit instruments, which they could then loan to government without limit. Banks were not in business to lend gold under a so-called gold money system or any so-called gold standard. To help our listeners see this more clearly, perhaps we need to define the word bank 
since I've not yet come across that definition in Bill's book either. A bank is a certain number of sufficient men of estates and credit joined together in joint stock, being the general cash keepers of that place where they are settled and letting out imaginary money at interest. Now, you might think that I just invented that definition, but it's from a London merchant named Samuel Lamb, who, in 1658, that's over 350 years ago, recommended the introduction of banks in England. Another London merchant, Francis Craddock, offered the same definition, almost word for word, these being found in a history of banking in all the leading nations, edited by William Graham Sumner at Volume 2, page 197, originally published in 1896 and reprinted in 1971. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 26. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you are listening to Datum Line. Please join us on the other side of this break, and we're going to continue with all of these myths. segment of Datum Line, today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 26. With regards to the 17th century definition of a bank that we found in a history of banking in all the leading nations, here's what the author of that specific article or chapter had to say, his name, Henry Dunning MacLeod. He said, quote, these writers, he says Samuel Lamb and Francis Craddock, these writers perfectly well understood the nature and constitution of a bank. They knew well that the function of a bank is to advance imaginary money or credit, not metallic money, as is the popular delusion of the present day, end quote. You remember that the present day, when he wrote this, was 1896. Well, that delusion is alive and well in our day, thanks to media and academia. At page 25, No More National Debt, Bill says, In a gold money system, bankers manipulate the amount of gold they loan out. But we just learned that it was well understood in knowledgeable circles, at least, during the 1600s and in 1896 that bankers loaned imaginary money, not gold or silver. Bill says, I'm going to have the whole sentence now, he says, in a gold money system, bankers own most of the gold. Well, that is not true. And they just manipulate the amount of gold they loan out. Well, that's not true either. Thereby controlling the quantity of money. Is that true? And the politics of the nation as well. Well, that is true. The quantity of money Bill is referring to in a so-called gold money system is not money at all, but rather banknotes or promises to pay money. So was it really a money system that he's talking about, or had it morphed into a credit system? In other words, 
Was credit controlled by gold, or was gold being controlled by credit? I think a case can be made for the latter. You see, once the public believed that credit was as good as gold, and you see, Bill believes it's even better, and once they believed that credit could purchase gold, Bill believes that, then bankers were free to corner the monetary gold. In other words, they could buy it up with credit created against deposits of their customers that they didn't have, the deposits of gold that they didn't have. You know, it's like checks written against someone else's bank account and with insufficient funds in the account. Credit, now that's the public's belief and faith in the godmen of banking, that kind of credit. Credit was now controlling the gold. In fact, credit was controlling the public's collective mindset and a great deal more. But do we accept any part of the guilt for trusting in the godmen? Oh, no. We're let off the hook when populists place the burden of guilt squarely on the gold itself. Maybe that's why these myths are so popular. You see, it's not our fault. We don't have to repent of anything. When a writer of rubber checks goes about exchanging his credit for tangible merchandise, which could even include a gold coin here and there, we call it theft. But instead of condemning the theft of our gold with valueless and ubiquitous credit, Bill still places the blame on the metal itself. He says, quote, gold is not the answer. Gold is the problem. That from page 19 of his book. A similar argument says that it's the gun's fault, not the person who squeezed the trigger. And we can find an audience who accept this kind of nonsense. No more national debt, page 44. Bill explains why commodity money, like gold or silver, which he confuses in a previous sentence with commodity-backed currency, is inferior to the use of absolutely nothing as money, which is his proposal. He says it's because, quote, the commodity itself can be manipulated, cornered, monopolized, hoarded, or counterfeited, end quote. Wow. His imaginary money begins with a congressional monopoly to create it. That's cornering the market, wouldn't you say? And to regulate, that means to manipulate, the quantity, which includes the power to pull whatever amount of it out of circulation for whatever reason, which I'd call hoarding. Then they're given the power to punish others for competing with their monopoly. This competition that they don't like is what they call counterfeiting. So you see, the United States notes that he advocates will be manipulated, cornered, monopolized, hoarded, and counterfeited. The very reasons he gives for not using gold and silver as money. Isn't he applying a double standard? And isn't that hypocritical? Say, did you ever hear of anyone cornering the market on petroleum? Well, David Rockefeller, in his own memoirs, published in 2002, says his grandfather had such a monopoly and controlled 90% of the industry under the name of Standard Oil. That, of course, could never have happened. It could have been prevented, you see, if we had simply stopped using oil, in keeping with populist logic. 
Did you ever hear of anyone making copies of famous artwork? It's called forgery. And passing them off as authentic originals? Crimes of this sort could never occur under a populist regime where Congress sequestered all of the originals, or better yet, destroyed them. This, of course, does not embrace a Jeffersonian view of representative government bound by the chains of the Constitution. But Bill still has taken bolt cutters to that document and manages to find an audience for his brand of tyranny. Lurking behind every economic myth is another nonsensical myth, which is presumed to be irrefutable. These are the sacred yabats, like, there's not enough gold. But if that were true, then who's to blame? Rather than indict the people who stole it, Bill, in a sense, accuses God of not creating enough of it. Well, I suppose for the greedy, there never is enough of it. But seldom is this claim made about silver and never about copper. Being as how this is Sunday and a good day to dust off our Bibles, let's see what the good book has to say about there not being enough gold. For all the bad press that gold seems to receive from those who like to quote scripture out of context, two passages garner the most attention. Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 19, and Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 18, where our ancestors, the Israelites, trusting in gold and silver to deliver them from the judgment of God, despite their wicked behavior, finally cast their money into the streets. You see, it wouldn't deliver them. It won't today either. But those who insist that the ideal form of money must be valueless and ubiquitous are somehow convinced that no one would ever toss pieces of paper or plastic cards into the streets on Judgment Day, even though the rather short history of fiduciary money tells a very different story. A fiduciary money, if you're not familiar with that phrase, is the kind of money which depends upon public confidence to sustain its value. The fiat money kind of stuff, you know, where you have to pass a law that forces people to take it. And if they don't, then they'll be punished. Okay. With respect to gold, well, gold is expressly mentioned in the Bible over 400 times, with the word golden being added to the list over 50 times. And that's not in reference to a pretty color, but rather a substance made of gold, such as a golden earring a golden crown, altar, maybe a golden scepter, cup, or a golden candlestick. The first reference to gold, Genesis chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, declares in pertinent part, In the land of Havilah there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Here's our music. You're listening to Datumline. I'm Bruce D. McCarthy. This is Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, part 26. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 26, is our message today. 
And on the other side of this last break, I mentioned the first reference to gold in the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, where it says in pertinent part, In the land of Havilah there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Now, doesn't this sound like a peculiar introduction for a book that allegedly has nothing good to say about a precious metal created by the hand of God? A book in which the law, statutes, and judgments of God, according to Psalm 19 and verse 10, are more to be desired than gold, even fine gold. Not to be more desired than valueless and ubiquitous United States notes. In this book, the Bible, we find God commanding Moses to receive gold, silver, and brass, that's principally made out of copper, as offering substances from our ancestors. We find that in Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 through 3. And in verse 10 and 11 of Exodus 25, we find that the Ark of the Covenant was gold-plated. Hmm. Numerous references are made to silver and gold, since they were the monetary substances of ancient Israel and all of the nations round about them. Coincidentally, gold, silver, and brass, or copper, were the monetary substances of our European ancestors until recent times. Silver is expressly mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, along with the word money, which is used over 130 times, which was also, as a general rule, the same word, the same Hebrew word, kesef. Now, it wouldn't be the same Greek word, or argentium, but it would be silver. So you see, money and silver were used in the scriptures synonymously. You can read about King Solomon and how his 40-year reign, which was around 1000 B.C., brought economic stability and prosperity to Israel. At least that's how I would interpret this. And how he made, quote, silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stones. You can read that in Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 15. Does that sound like a serious shortage of gold? or silver to you, as plenteous as stones. Now, it might be argued that today's larger global population requires a lot more gold and silver than in Solomon's day. But we've also had another 3,000 years to gather more of it. Since they don't rust, decay, or evaporate, the supply of species should easily keep pace with our population growth. But you see, that's not enough. Not enough money for those who say it should be ubiquitous and consequently worthless. King Solomon, you might be surprised to find, was apparently pushing silver in that direction 3,000 years ago. Here's what it says in Second Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 20. And all the drinking vessels of King Solomon were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was not anything accounted of in the days of Solomon. Hmm, wow. Solomon evidently was making silver somewhat ubiquitous. Fortunately, Bill still expresses a high regard for the Book of Books, saying, quote, It's important to remember that the West 
was civilized according to the Judeo-Christian values. I've got to stop there for just a moment. I can't accept that one. That's, a, uh, that's an oxymoron, this concept of a Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, we don't have time to go into it, but I think we've covered that uh, maybe a year or so ago. But uh, that's an oxymoron, a Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, but anyway, he talks about the, the Judeo-Christian values, which are laid out in the Bible. The ethical codes found in this millennia-old guide to human behavior are the very bedrock of Western civilization and the secret to its success. Well, end quote from No More National Debt at page 68. Well, let's see what this bedrock and secret to our success has to say about whether God provided enough gold for our economic needs, along with silver and copper. Our opening verse will be taken from Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18. Isaiah 45 and verse 18, if you happen to have your Bible handy. And all of my references are from King James. Okay. Quote, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Isaiah 45:18. Now we could have gone to Genesis chapter one or John chapter one to establish that God had created heaven and earth. I don't know of any individual or committee that created heaven and earth. God takes the credit; nobody else seems to. So I believe He did it. Okay. Now believers in Christian ethics, those ethics found in the books of Genesis to Revelation, should have no difficulty understanding this clear and concise statement of God's purpose for His creation. He formed the earth. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. And it is inhabited, even to this day. Okay? The human population is now somewhere around 7 billion. But that's just a drop in the bucket compared to the marine life, you know, the fish, the mollusks, and all that sort of stuff. The number of other mammals, reptiles, amphibians, birds, insects, and microbes, along with a superabundance of varied plant life much of which we're continually mowing, continually mowing down so we can get from the back porch to the garage. If God really intended for this earth to hold all of these teeming life forms, he also planned to provide enough natural resources to sustain them. Did he provide enough resources? Consider the air and its sufficiency to support life. Well, it's 21% oxygen, we're told, 78% nitrogen, and 1% of 10 other inert gases. Is there enough of it? Well, environmentalists of the secular humanist variety probably don't think so. But apart from local pollution, you know, like the Los Angeles Basin and things like that, there seems to be more than enough clean air to support the trillions of bustling life forms. Well, is there enough water? Here in America... There's so much of it that we dump our sewage into it after first polluting it with chlorine and sodium fluoride. Companies like Monsanto are busy providing ways for us to lace the groundwater with even more deadly chemicals. We've been treating our water like dirt. Speaking of which, did God provide us enough tillable soil to grow sufficient food, or did he shortchange us in that department as well? Despite all of the man-made efforts to hamper our productive labors, you know, government regulations, inflation, taxes, labor disputes, special interest groups, corporate greed, a satanic agenda to depopulate the globe, 
and so forth and so on. What we don't consume in our round-the-clock romance with food, we waste or give away to people in other countries. Those folks could produce more food and other commodities if they didn't have the same impediments to production. You know, labor disputes, government regulations, inflation, taxes, all that sort of stuff. And then there's another one that we might toss in. That's an oppressive religion that stifles and penalizes individual initiative. Even the true religion that was given to Israel directly by God was perverted into an instrument of slavery from time to time, working hand-in-hand with the political rulers of the day to accomplish their selfish ends. We can read about it somewhat, just in one verse, in fact, in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31, where it says that the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. But tyranny then and now has always been popular. Because the verse went on to say, and my people love to have it so. Believe it or not, the tyranny we have is the tyranny that America wanted. Did God provide enough petroleum? Well, those who believe it's a fossil fuel certainly don't think so. But the earth keeps pushing it up. And from depths, oh my golly, what great depths. 40,000 feet, I guess. Depths that no one dreamed possible a century ago. That's a lot of sedimentation over those old bones, huh? That's if you believe it's a fossil fuel. Well, I think methane and crude oil are renewable resources. What do you think? Since God created people, along with the ants and the honeybees, as social creatures, all of them, all of us, profiting from voluntary organization and division of labor, God had to incorporate some additional features into our makeup to accomplish this. And he also had to incorporate some additional features into the environment before this could be accomplished. For example, we've always had enough craftsmen in metal, wood, stone, more recently in glass, long ago pottery, and so forth. Well, by golly, here's some music. Guess we got another break. Well, we'll continue with this thought on the other side. This is Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 26. You are listening to Datum Line. Welcome back to this segment of Datum Line, <clears throat> Economic Myths, the Science of Deceit, Part 26. Uh, we were talking about division of labor, which is one of the unique aspects of a complex society and a complex economy. For some reason, there have always been enough people who wanted to till the soil and grow the food, or to build our houses, or perhaps to uh, build our ships, and others to sail them or, more recently, to repair our automobiles and to fly our modern aircraft. No guidance counselors were ever needed to direct the course of human endeavor in accordance with prescribed criteria derived from psychological and academic testing. How was this possible without godmen down here to control every aspect of life? Well, you know what? Maybe God knew how to accomplish his ends without our interference. 
Division of labor requires an economic system. But for most of our time on Earth, it didn't require a team of economists to analyze, probe, or direct its incredibly intricate activities and elements, which included a suitable medium of exchange to lubricate this complex machine we call an economy, and which developed, along with money, long before any government ever attempted to strike its first coin, which was around 600 B.C., or to regulate the marketplace in any way. In fact, Abraham used silver as money approximately 2,000 B.C. Okay. We called upon government to punish theft and other economic injustices, but not to regulate or direct a market that grew naturally out of human needs and our resulting interaction to meet those needs and desires. Was the creator of all heaven and earth so short-sighted that he forgot to provide us with highly desirable commodities that were uniquely suited for simplifying and streamlining our economic interactions? Commodities that were conformable to the law of just weights and measures? Commodities that were so valuable that very little was needed to make normal purchases? So stable that they could be saved way into the future without loss of purchasing power? So recognizable by the human senses that anyone would accept them without hesitation? Substances that could be passed from dirty hand to dirty hand and yet would not support disease-causing bacterial life? Substances that could even be used to purify drinking water? Was God bright enough to figure this one out before the populace came along to urge our use of filthy rags with numbers on them that the first party obtained for nothing along with our labor-intensive production? Rags produced in such prodigious quantity that their value has plummeted to only 3% since the Federal Reserve began to plunder our economy 100 years ago. Money was not an invention of man any more than a thirst for water, a hunger for food, or a need for protection from the elements. Money was invented by God to satisfy the economic needs of his most highly developed and complex creatures, acting through an incredibly complex mechanism called the economy. But the generosity of God, as seen in the riches he gave to Abraham, to the Israelites during the reign of Solomon, to the European people, and to us in America, this generosity was not enough. We wanted more. More than what money could buy. We wanted what an endless stream of credit could supply instantaneously. As Bill put it, Ideally, money should be valueless and ubiquitous. Well, we sure got it with the Federal Reserve, didn't we? Unfortunately, it came with an interest penalty. But populists envision how Congress can make it even cheaper by not charging interest to themselves. This way, they'll be better equipped to create even more of it. If you think federal bureaucracy needs to be trimmed down and reined in now, then how do you think this will be achieved when Congress can write its own ticket? If a neighbor was living high on the hog with bank credit, would he repent of his profligate lifestyle if we gave him a printing press and told him to create his own money interest-free? It might just be that God never intended for us to have everything we wanted whenever we wanted it. Who likes a spoiled brat? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8 and 9, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, 
and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Solomon understood moderation. Israel, of whom Solomon, all the prophets, even the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of his apostles were kinsmen in the flesh, has a duty to God through their obedience to his standard of conduct written on two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, in the scriptures called Commandments, Statutes, and Judgments, and on the heart. That's the New Covenant or the New Testament. Same word. Found in Hebrews chapter 8, 8 through 10, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10 through 20. It therefore behooves us to know if we are Israel according to the flesh, says Paul at Romans 9, verse 3, to whom pertaineth, he says, the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. This found in Romans chapter 9, verse 4. Consider the pitiful economic state of a once Christian European America and our current spiritual condition in context with this brief extract, which I'll take from Deuteronomy chapter 8, 11 through 20. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes. Lest when thou hast eaten it out full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy gold and thy silver is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, I testify against you, that ye shall surely perish, as the nations which the Lord destroyed, so shall ye perish." There was a time when the things we had were a measure of our wealth. Today's abundance of trinkets and baubles is a measure of what a nation owes to a system of man-made credit, which violates every economic commandment of Scripture, as will its continuation in the hands of Congress. Consider the spiritual state of America when our more immediate ancestors began to salivate for a profligate lifestyle fueled not by gold or silver that they had earned, but by imaginary credit that they could borrow without end. This was the blurring of distinction between needs and wants, between sufficiency and greed. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The tempered view of Scripture is to refrain from death, which is to avoid the pitfalls of credit, its correlative. Yet populists insist upon calling it honest money, as if by calling it such, they could actually make it so. The Bible says in Romans 13, 8, O ye no man anything but to love one another. Philippians 4, 19 says, But my God shall supply all your needs, not your wildest dreams, all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Did God provide enough gold for our economic needs? Populists say, no. But the Bible leads me to believe otherwise. Did he provide enough silver and enough copper? He seems to have done that as well. Well, our time is just about out. And I think it's probably a good idea to give you a heads up with regards to our next message. 
I won't tell you what it's going to be about, but I would suggest that you have some paper and pencil or a pen handy uh, because we're going to be doing a little doodling. You might not have to do the doodling if you happen to have a copy of the book Lawful Money versus Legal Plunder, or if you would like to link during that broadcast, I think you can do that through IBN's homepage, link up to Bank Fraud in 10 Minutes. Most of you have probably already been there. Uh, but that's our little video presentation, and we're going to be turning to the gold coins when we do the message uh, next in our next broadcast. These will be useful during that broadcast when we will be examining another myth about gold. Well, I hear the music. Sounds like the end of this installment. Hope you found it of interest. I enjoyed giving it. Uh, have a good day, and God bless. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, and you've been listening to Datum Line. some funky little things going on let me share this story with you it's not so much a story it's something I wrote years ago read your history people stock markets collapse on Friday bank seizures closures holidays take place after business hours on Friday do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday <laughs> tomorrow's Friday Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive if the stock market tanks? Look, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for private consultation. Once again, our phone number 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. 
Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plants. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. But I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raise the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pouty arco super tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, 
uh, to the U.S. I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee that's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new Ease-Off Drop and Lift? What in the world is an Ease-Off Drop and Lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to EaseOff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not, or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? 
That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be, and it really works. Take Extendivite for six months, and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shiloji hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shiloji Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shiloji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shiloji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shiloji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shiloji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Syrah grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Gilad Otzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race, and the fact that race drives history, and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, I don't know. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's the Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. 
You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. And one of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at kettlemoraineltd at cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602 799 8214, or visit our website, Sierra Madre Precious Metals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure, just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. <laughs>